Take courage. It is Jesus. So don't be afraid. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't think that I have to convince you that uh, today we live with more information at our fingertips than ever before in history, and we live with more connection with other people than ever before in history. It's overwhelming. In fact, a survey, uh, rather a study that was done uh, recently showed that the average 21st century North American, the amount of information that we receive in 24 hours is equivalent to 74 gigabytes of data. You know what that's like? Consuming 16 movies a day of information on your tablet, on your phone, on this thing even, and in your smart houses and in your smart car. Information is making it more efficient to get from one place to another and more efficient to, to connect with people. I get messages daily. I mean, this is unimaginable maybe 20, 25 years ago from my sister who lives in Zambia. And she just sent a picture uh, the other day of, of, of my niece who is grown up and I haven't seen her in like three years and she, she showed her a picture of her favorite teacher at the international school. It's amazing the connections that we have and it, and it really is incredible to think about. Compared to 500 years ago, same, same study, just 500 years ago, the average highly educated person received 74 gigabytes of information in their entire lifetime. Whoa. And they learned that through stories and through books. The information is coming at us all the time, and uh, it can be quite overwhelming, too. All the positives that there is, and all the, that information, data, media, entertainment media, that's coming at us. There's a new word that was created. Dictionary.com said it's one of the words that was created that came out of the pandemic called doom scrolling. Have you heard the word doom scrolling before? Have you experienced doom scrolling yourself? It's pretty depressing, and I've fallen into that trap too, but it's the constant feed of information that, 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 that uh, let's say, entertainment media or, or even media in general that wants to push on you all the troubles of the world that we never had access to before, troubles that are happening in remote countries. That's important, but that pull at our heartstrings. And after that, another story about how everything literally in your refrigerator is bad for you. <laughs> And it's going to kill you. And right after that, another story about a shooting at a church right here in Houston. I mean, this is real stuff that's being thrown at us and, and that we're consuming. And a Pew Research Center had a, a survey in the last couple of years and discovered that 66% of Americans are exhausted and overwhelmed by the doom scrolling. It's causing anxiety and it's causing fear at record levels from our youth all the way to adults. I think you would agree with me on this too. The solution for doom scrolling is not more doom scrolling. <laughs> and yet we still go back there to try to find a solution. I'm not here tonight to, to preach to you about doom scrolling, but I'm using it as that example as something that is real that causes fear in our hearts 
because it might not be on a screen, but it could be something in our life that causes us fear or anxiety. It could be something physical that's happening in our life for the life of a loved one. It might be something emotional, like our friends don't like us, or they acted like they're not liking us, that's causing fear and anxiety socially. It could be something relationship-wise with a partner, or it could be a crisis of faith. Fear. It's a scary thing. And just like you don't doom scroll more to get away from doom scrolling, tonight I wanted to encourage us at the beginning of Lent that the solution for fear is outside of ourselves. And the solution for fear we find in Mark chapter 6 tonight, page 10 in your service folder, is that Jesus and his grace, when Jesus is near, when, he, when Jesus is uh, far away, when he's far away from us, the fear is going to be present. And when Jesus is near, that fear and the storms of life that cause the fear, they will clear. And a true worship of Jesus will come out of it. A worship that we want to carry on all through the Lent season. So the backstory to the story in front of us tonight is that Jesus is going around uh, Israel at this time in Galilee. And he's gathered his disciples. He's probably a year or two into his ministry. And the news about Jesus is, is going viral. Everybody was coming out of the woodwork and they want to find Jesus. They want to touch the edge of his cloak because he's exuding healing. He's driving out demons. He's preaching with authority. He's telling people about the kingdom of heaven. Like in a way that nobody has ever talked about it before. And then in the moments before this account that we're looking at tonight, Jesus does something to show his disciples that he's God overall and that he can meet all of our needs because he's in a remote place and thousands of people are gathered, but they have nothing to eat. And Jesus says, get whatever there is. And so the disciples gather what? Five loaves of bread and two fish, and they bring them to Jesus, and Jesus multiplies them and feeds 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. After that, people figured out where to get a free lunch. And so they kept coming back to Jesus for more. But Jesus, uh, if you are walking with us through this series, remember the phrase earlier in the series that Jesus says, let's go to another place so that the word of God can be preached there. The people haven't heard it yet. Jesus, after that moment, huddles with his disciples and he says, it's time to move on. I want you to get into a boat and I want you to go across the Sea of Galilee and go to Bethsaida. I'll meet you there. Jesus sends his disciples off in that boat in the evening and then he goes up to a mountain and he prays by himself. In the middle of that night, as the disciples are crossing the lake by themselves, fear strikes. First it was a trickle perhaps, but very soon the rain became just started pouring down and this, this little fishing boat, not meant to really take on big storms, began to rock back and forth and the waves got bigger and, and the winds stronger. In fact, I, it, some commentators say, say they probably had to take down the, the sails because they started rowing with the oars to just try to get to land with all their strength all throughout the night. Their boat's being turned back and forth, and now this, this doomsday scenario starts rising in their hearts. Is this the end? Will it get better? 
Where's Jesus? At about three to five in the morning, they're still struggling to get to land. And all of a sudden, they see some figure that's coming at them and about to pass by them. Something like a ghost, or at worst, maybe a demon that's crossing the water. How could this get any, any worse? Not only is there a storm, but now their fear is at an all-time fever pitch. And it says that those grown men cried out like babies because they feared what was walking on the water. They didn't know what it was, and they feared the storm. And so they cry out, and this is what happens next. Verse 50, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. When Jesus is away, fear is at play. And they were experiencing fear at its greatest level, losing their life. And it says this at the end, it's a strange phrase, for they had not understood about the loaves. Huh? What are we talking about here? Imagine this, for the first time, maybe not the first time, but for a really significant time at this moment, the disciples were experiencing right here what they had seen other people experience, right? They had seen the healings. They had heard this powerful preaching. They had seen the demons flying out of people and lives restored, but now it becomes personal. They had not understood about the loaves. Why is he just feeding people? Well, that's because people were hungry. It's like a little child that loves airplanes, loves looking up in the sky and seeing those awesome machines flying through the air, thinking to themselves, I love airplanes. And they get the airplane party, and they get the pilot's hat, and they get everything about it. They love airplanes, but it's not until they step onto an airplane for the first time with a huge smile on their face and actually feel the engine behind them start turning and start to feel the pressure of the plane going up into the air, and then they get to look out the window, and now they've experienced flight, not from afar, but right here. The disciples didn't understand about the loaves until they realized that without Jesus, with Jesus away, fear is at play. And the same is true for you and me. When Jesus is away, fear is at play. I, uh, true story. There was a man who was working a long shift at an assembly line with a coworker across from him. And the man, uh, his coworker started telling him, you know, it was an eight-hour shift working on an assembly line. They just started talking. His coworkers started to sort of, sort of brag. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm a free man. I can do what I want when I want to. In fact, right now I have a girlfriend. Well, that would be okay, except this man was married. And he had no problem saying how free he was. And as he was talking to this man, the man's heart was dropping because the way that he talked about it was he was a free man, but he was in bondage of his own sin. You see, the man was saying, I also worry a lot. I have anxiety because 
I think that I could get caught. And sometimes, and it was a small community where this story happened, sometimes we drive in front of a restaurant, and I see my wife's car there, and, and all of a sudden, we have to dart off into the night. And everything that, that he was talking about, they had to do in secret, and, and everything that he did, and his whole life became consumed by actually the prison of sin and the fear of getting caught, let alone being caught by God. He was afraid of the very prison that he was creating. And you know what the response was by the man that was listening to him? He said this. I had to write it down. He says to the man who's bragging about this, you think I'm bound. You see, this man, he was married and he was a faithful husband and a Christian. You think I'm bound, but, the one, but I'm the one who's free. When I go out with my wife, I never have to worry about where we're going. I never have to fear being caught. I can boldly live in the light. Like the disciples, that man that said that once was imprisoned without Jesus. Jesus was far away in his life. And it wasn't until that Jesus came into his life with his transformative love and changed his heart and made it a repentant heart that he realized that living underneath Jesus releases you from fear. Because he gives light into our life that penetrates all the way down into the soul and, and looks at our life for what it is. That's why Jesus says to the disciples in the middle of their fear, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When Jesus is near, the storms clear and sincere worship is sincere. What is the movement of grace? That night on the water, it looked like Jesus physically walking on the water out to that boat that was being thrown around by the waves. That was the movement of grace. Now let me ask you this. What's the movement of grace in our life today? What's the final thing that comes in and transforms us from a life of fear underneath our sin into a life of beautiful, sacrificial love that obeys God. And like those disciples who, 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 were, who were in the boat the moment that Jesus got in, those, the wind and the waves died down, and they recognized that he was God, and they worshiped him, it says in Matthew's account of this. The movement of grace is light that shines in the darkness. The movement of grace is an explosion and a penetration of this heart, my heart, your heart. Grace comes in and it explores every dank hallway and every dirty corner of my soul and yours and leaves nothing uncovered. Nothing. Does that scare you? It shouldn't. Here's why. The grace that Jesus gave to his disciples was immediate. As soon as he said the words, the storm was calm. When Jesus is near, the storm's clear. He did that on that evening to show his power over all things and to show his authority over our fears. And the grace that he gives us is this. The same feet that walked on the water 
to bring peace amid fear to those disciples are the same feet that walked to the cross for you. The same feet that had nail driven through them. Willingly, joyfully, because he loves you. And the penetrating light of the cross is the grace that comes into your heart not to make a doomsday, not to condemn, or not to (laughs) destroy, but his grace comes into your heart and mine to save. That's the only way to get free from fear. And it has to be done by him. Because the solution for doom scrolling is not more doom scrolling. The solution for being freed from fear comes from outside. I read a, a blog just this week. Really interesting observation by a man several years ago who was in a New York City, who's in a the New York City subway station, and there were two posters up on the wall. Movie posters. I gotta get the names right of the movies. The first one was Extraordinary Measures. Starring Harrison Ford and Brendan Fraser, and it has this tagline Don't hope for a miracle, make one yourself. And the, and the poster right next to it was another movie poster, Book of Eli, starring Denzel Washington. And its tagline was this Deliver us. Isn't that interesting that those two are right next to each other? Don't hope in a miracle. Make one yourself. Deliver us. The author of the blog just just put it in a great way. He says that's the stark reality of life. And that's the two ways that you can look at life is, is in the first movie. And this was actually the point of the first movie. You have to make your own destiny. There's no one else there out, out there to help you. You have to create your own miracle. And you've got to do it yourself. And the point of the second movie? Deliver us. It says this, and this is the point of that movie, the undertone of it. There is another. And you're not alone. And you need deliverance. God's salvation is like the second movie poster. And the story of Jesus, the accounts of Lent are this. God, deliver us. And the good news is, he does. And he has. You can't solve fear by going back to fear. You need Jesus. That's the only thing you need this Lent. The solution to doom scrolling is not more doom scrolling, and the solution to fear is not more fear. We have one who has come near. One who has calmed the storm and created in us a new creation that worships him freely. Lots of people give up stuff for Lent. Maybe you are. You don't have to. There's not like a Bible verse or a law in the church that says you have to give something up for Lent. Maybe it's coffee for some people. Maybe it's a certain type of food for another. If that's good for your spiritual walk with Jesus, go for it. I'm not going to tell you to do it or not to do it. Other people might give up Swedish fish. I don't know. You know, it's your thing with God about what you're going to give up. 
But can we agree about something tonight as we close? There's one thing that we all will give up. And we all can give up. And we all should give up. This Lent, with Jesus, let's give up fear. Amen.